Hey pitchers, how are you doing? I hope you're having a fantastic time. Welcome to Pitch Slapped, the pitch perfect fandom podcast where literally we could delve into anything to do with pitch perfect. My name's Kaylee Hillier and in this episode of the podcast I am quite excited. Not only have we got some actor news for you and we'll be delving into some fan fiction highlights. I had the opportunity to speak to an actual a cappella singer. Okay, it was my cousin, but she was part of Aquapella from the UK. And in 2019, she actually got to go to the ICCAs and take part with her group. And so I thought, what a great opportunity to speak to her and to kind of delve into what it's actually like Number one, to be part of an acapella group, but also go to the ICCAs and have that experience. So I'm very excited to kind of show you what we got up to. It was a really fun conversation and it was great to talk to Maisie about her experience. So we'll be doing that very, very soon. First, though, let's delve into some actor news. Since entering into January... There have been a number of things coming out to kind of whet our appetite at the beginning of 2021. First up, Dickinson Season 2 came out with the first three episodes. Hayley Seinfeld is back as Emily Dickinson. And I am so excited to see where this is going to go. Currently, like, there's three episodes, but, like, I just can't wait for more. I'm, I'm so intrigued by the series. Also, if you wanted some more things to watch, Skylar Austin is back with season two of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. And of course, that means more songs for you to enjoy as well. And that's airing on NBC. Rebel Wilson seems to have really kicked off 2021 as she will be on the show Straight Talking in the UK on the 14th of January at 9pm on Sky TV she will be joining Ant Middleton. Now, if you didn't know, Ant Middleton is an extreme adventurer, leader and positive thinker. And they will be out exploring the Mexican wilderness together. Intriguing. So you can watch Straight Talking on Sky TV in the UK. I don't know if it's going to be anywhere else at the moment. We haven't heard anything. And also, she just recently announced that her new dog grooming competition called Pooch Perfect, will be coming to ABC later this year. So something else to look out for. And if you've been on social media any time this week, you might have seen that Britney Snow is currently quarantining in New Zealand. She did a little video on her Instagram stories of her in her hotel room where she has to isolate for two weeks before she starts filming. We don't know what the project is yet. It's very intriguing. But everybody's trying to figure out what it is. I mean, there's like a film mentioned on IMDb, but like we don't know. So watch this space. All we know is that Britney Snow is about to start filming something. That's it for our actor news this week. We'll be delving into some fan fiction highlights for you to get into a little bit later on. But first, I am so excited for you to be able to listen to my interview with Maisie. She has been doing a cappella for about five years. And I got to sit down with her for like a good three hours where we just kind of like 
dove into the world of collegiate a cappella and found out what similarities there are between real college a cappella and pitch perfect. One thing we haven't talked about is the music side of Pitch Perfect yet. So I thought we needed to kind of delve into the music of Pitch Perfect. And of course, a big factor of Pitch Perfect is the fact that they sing a cappella. I don't know anything about a cappella. I wish I did, but I, all I know is from the movies. So I thought, let's get on someone who has had experience with a cappella, kind of knows what they're doing. And luckily, my cousin did a cappella for quite a long time. So I'm very, very, very fortunate to speak to Maisie today. Hi, Maisie. Hey, how you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. So just to, to give people a little bit of a background, what's your background in a cappella? Because you've been doing it for a long time. You, you've got quite a bit of varied experience. Yeah, so I started doing a cappella in 2014, which is a long time ago when I was 20 years old um, and yeah I started at university when I was uh, in my second year and I joined the university kind of a cappella society and it all kind of came about because really because of the Pitch Perfect films like I feel like it, it was kind of a really big time at that point everyone was watching it so I watched Pitch Perfect kind of loved it thought it was hilarious and was a singer myself like I was doing a music degree and I wanted to do something more fun that wasn't necessarily like choral music or opera so I auditioned and I got into the society and I joined Cardiff University's all-female acapella group, the Decibels. Uh, and then from there, I kind of went, carried on. In my final year at uni, I was the president of the acapella society and carried on from there, really. Uh, in 2017, I joined Aquapella, the university uh, acapella group based in Bath. And I was with them for nearly three years with them i did the edinburgh fringe festival three three years in a row they are three-time national champions of acapella which is pretty cool i competed with them both nationally and internationally and managed to do loads of really cool stuff recorded an album and yeah that's kind of my that's my background really i've been in a few got got around a bit when it comes to acapella groups and but it's yeah it's a great thing to do and it's great fun so that's kind of what I've been up to yeah really love it I love it <laughs> especially that you've like you've kind of had a transition through the years like from uni like and beyond of like your acapella journey yeah absolutely like I feel like I couldn't really stop once you get a bit of a taste for it. People don't realise how much of a community acapella is in the UK because it's so big in America, like it's massive in the state. But it's kind of equally as big in the UK. I mean, the especially kind of the collegiate acapella scene in the UK is so, so big. If you know a university or you go to a university, chances are that your university has an acapella group, well, at least one. It's just grown and grown and grown from there. I mean, when I started in, you know, 2015, I didn't quite realise <laughs> where I would be with it five years later. But yeah, it's been a massive journey and I've kind of, I've had so many amazing opportunities through it and from it that, I, you know, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change any of it. So that's the main thing. Exactly. Enjoying the journey. <laughs> Enjoy the journey. It's all about the journey. So you, you mentioned that 
it's quite big here as it is in the States because I don't think many people like realise that. A fun fact about UK acapella is, you know, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival? Yeah. So the Edinburgh Fringe Festival is the biggest, it's the biggest acapella festival in the world. Really? Yeah. So they have so many, so, so many groups come and put shows on every year. It's absolutely huge. Uh, And the groups come from all over. Most of them are UK based, but they, yeah, they do come from all over. Yeah, there's like a whole community within the UK. I mean, like I said, university acapella is such a big thing. And a lot of that stems from the fact that there's a really good competition scene. There's like multiple different competitions that go in around the country. So there was like a brand new competition that was opened last year called the Open Acapella Competition, I think it was. There was also a competition called Voice Festival UK, which has been running for years. Uh, And then additionally to that, there's the ICCAs, which is the competition that you see in Pitch Perfect. So that is a real life competition. And there is like a UK element to it. So there are the groups that compete in America and then they also do like heats and kind of semi-finals and quarterfinals in the UK. And then the winner of the semi-final in the UK goes to Broadway and performs on Broadway as part of the ICCA final. So yeah, there's kind of this big, like really good competitive streak within the UK acapella kind of scene that wants to get to Broadway and perform with the American groups. It's so much bigger than people actually think because it's not necessarily popular commercially. Like you don't necessarily turn on like the radio and hear an acapella group performing. It's kind of just doesn't really happen like that. But it's like a bit of an underground scene that when you get into it, like somehow you just can't ever escape it. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Especially but, like when you, when you start opening something up and then you realise just how much bigger it is than you originally thought. A hundred percent. I mean, that's exactly what happened to me. I literally joined an acapella group when I was 20 thinking, oh, this will be a laugh for a year. And, you know, I might make a couple of friends out of it and I get to sing some cool songs. But like, little did I know that there was just this whole other layer to it. It ends up taking over your life a little bit. But, you know, I can't <laughs> So you mentioned that the UK is part of the ICCAs, the university scene, because I noticed when I looked at their website that they, there was a connection there. So it's, it's run in the same way. It's just they have like a UK heat system. Yeah, exactly. So obviously in the film, they send off an application to be as part of this competition. They then perform in... I can't remember in the film, do they do the quarterfinal and the semi-final? Getting- regionals and then they have a semi-final and then... Yeah, so it's like a very similar thing. So basically in the, the ICCA system is that you have each region of the country has quarterfinals. Whoever wins each quarterfinal then does the semi-final. And then whoever wins the semi-final from that region then goes on to perform in the final. So you have regions all across America that do it. So you have like, you know, you have like Northwestern, Northeastern, and it goes all around the country. And you end up with all these groups from all over the United States and Canada. I'm pretty sure Canada were competing. I don't know if they did last year, but they were competing. Then they all perform in the semi-final. And it's, it's, sorry, in the final on Broadway, It's the same thing in the UK, except that the quarterfinals are regional. So you'll have like the quarterfinal for 
the north and Scotland, you'll have the quarterfinal for the southwest, you'll have the quarterfinal for the eastern, and I think there's like a central one as well. And then they take a couple of groups from each of those uh, who come first, second, third, and then they go to the semi-final, which is usually in London. It's been held at the new Wimbledon Theatre for the past few years. And then the winning group then goes to America and joins the other winning semi-finalist and they all compete on Broadway. So it's the international competition of collegiate acapella, but it's very much made international because of the UK being a part of it, which is great because it's, you know, it's a very exciting thing for UK groups to be able to perform on Broadway, you know, with all these other people and, I found that when I did the competition and the group I was in at Quapella, we won the semi-final uh, in, well, the group won the semi-final twice, went on Broadway twice, but I was only with the group once when I went over. And when we were performing on Broadway, it was so nice to meet all the American groups and kind of see how different it is. Apart from that, it's, yeah, the same competition. It's just, we start in the UK and then if you win it, you go over to America. <laughs> That's crazy because like you don't realise that it involves like the UK into that and like you said maybe Canada a little bit might get involved and so it's it opens it up so much more as you just think it's based in the States. Yeah 100% and that's a really cool part about it as well is that you like I said you go over and you get to meet these other groups but also you find that American acapella and UK acapella they can be quite different in the sound and the style not in a bad way, in fact, in like very good ways, but there is like a bit of a difference. And it's really nice as well, because you go over and you get to meet these groups. And from my experience, when we went over, a lot of the groups that we met were so welcoming and so lovely. And, you know, you're in the middle of New York, like performing on Broadway and you get to meet all these other groups and like they're really excited to meet you because you're from like the other side of the world. And it's so nice to meet them and you but you're all in the same boat. Like you're all kind of, you know, young adults at university experiencing the same kind of things, but differently. So it's, yeah, it's amazing to be able to kind of see what they're like and learn about them. And, and then you get to the end of the night and you all follow each other on Instagram. And then it's like, it's like over a year since I was performing and I follow people on Instagram who I met when I was on Broadway and they've like graduated now and they're like teachers or like, photographers or all sorts of different things and you're just like watching what they're doing it's yeah it's it's a real kind of amazing community to be a part of both kind of nationally and internationally really you mentioned that there's like a difference between uk acapella and american acapella what would you say some of the differences are oh i'm gonna get in trouble now (laughs) um so i feel like the tradition of uk acapella is definitely rooted in choral music is I think where it starts. I don't think it is so much now, but like if you ever typed in like acapella music UK, you're going to end up listening to like a piece of Thomas Tallis. There's a group from, you know, Cambridge singing. Like it's quite varied in that way. Um, But also I think that there's an element of it that is a bit grittier. It's like how you compare popular musicians in the UK with popular musicians in America there's kind of different levels and elements to it. And, and sometimes it can be a bit grittier and they both take risks in different ways. A lot of people who do 
acapella in the States often come from like show choir areas, but also like acapella starts in schools, like in America, like a lot of school kids have acapella groups and there is an ICCA's like competition, but for students of high school. So it's kind of something that they learn from a lot younger. So they kind of develop it a lot more. Whereas in the UK, there can be so many more aspects that go into it. It's a bit more... I don't know. I, I feel like it's grittier. I feel like I wouldn't want to ever say something wrong about American acapella because I think it's amazing in its own way. But I feel like there's something quite gritty about UK acapella that's a bit more British, you know? Do you know what I, yeah, mean I, I think so. Yeah, like it, I think it's just from the melting pot that they come from, isn't it? Like you look at, say, London and you've got like grime music coming out and stuff like that, which really influences the type of music they produce. And so... I can see that with probably the different types of universities in the UK, whether you've come from like a Cambridge or something like that, the melting pot there is going to inspire different types of music and different creative processes. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that that's such a big thing as well as you can see how, where you're from influences the style of music you like, the things you listen to. And when I competed in the ICCA finals uh, with Aquapella, our set list was um, God is a Woman by Ariana Grande, which obviously is such a big anthem in America and in the UK. And then we did a song called To Love Someone, which is by Ben Abraham, which is um, a lot more stripped back. And it's like very, like a very beautiful song. But then we ended our set with I Bet That You Look Good on the Dance Floor by the Arctic Monkeys, which is as British as you can get and in terms of a sound. And so when you compare that to a lot of the other stuff that other groups were doing, you know, it has a different sound. Um, and maybe the ways that people perform music and take the music and change it around in different areas is often influenced by the music you're listening to. Even if, you know, if we do an American piece, it might be a little bit more British influenced in the feel and how we develop it and create it so it's such a hard one to pin down like what is that key difference because actually acapella music is such an expression in you know the kind of wider scale of it it's the same thing no matter where you are but yeah it's like an accent or anything like that can just let you know and show off kind of where you're from whether you're a british group or an american group it kind of shines through even if you're not fully looking for it (laughs) I love that though and I think that's one of the interesting things with acapella is there's you're taking music and completely stripping it back to like rebuild it in a different way trying to kind of reinterpret it in some way using your voices and so it does lead you to a lot of creativity and expression with how you go about doing that what type of sound you want to make like so many different aspects involved that a lot of people just don't know about. Yeah a hundred percent and like you could do any type of music you could like take a song like for instance you know when I was with Acapella one of the songs we did was Purple Rain by Prince and it was you know like a real big moment for us as a group to do it and we had like a very strong female soloist singing the song and kind of deciding how to grow it as a piece of music because it's not like when you listen to it you know when it's Prince playing with a band because like your voices are the band so you have to develop it as you want to but also you don't want it to be completely the same the whole way through because it would get boring like it's not you know you need growth and you need dynamic range and different tones and 
it means that ultimately you can end up with really cool things. And, that, you know, that's the other cool thing about Pella Music as well, is then you get the whole other dimension of, like, mashups. Like, they are a thing. <laughs> are they? It's, they are. People do mashups. And it's, it's fun. Like, and then it becomes a lot more experimentative as well, because you can mess around a lot with the sound. And I think that's the thing that you find as well, that when you are in an acapella group, you tend to have a musical director or someone in the group who has arranged your music for you, who have taken the time to think to themselves, like, oh, this sound will sound right with this. And it, like, this person should sing this line and that kind of thing. But it's so collaborative as well, because when you all sing together, you can kind of change the dynamic tone and how you want it to be done. And, and from that, you end up with this whole other different sound. It's, yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, I didn't even know that you guys did like mashups. I think it's kind of interesting coming from like a DJ perspective, because obviously you can create mashups on a computer, but you're often restricted by the sounds that are already there. Like you take the acapella from the original, you take the instrumental, you've got to then work with the confines of the song that you're given, like the keys that it's in, you have to like really stretch it sometimes to get it to a key that you want to match with another song. Whereas you're not necessarily as restricted with something like acapella because you're just building it again from the ground up. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, it, it takes a lot of time and some songs work together and some songs don't. And, you know, sometimes you find it out the hard way that songs don't work together, but then sometimes you'll have a moment where two songs will just come together really perfectly. When I was with Aquapella, we made an album. We created a 14 track studio album, essentially, where it was all properly recorded. And, and one of the tracks we did on that was, um, the song Boys by Charlie XCX and we mashed it up with Girls by the 1975 and it was so seamless and when stuff like that happens it's not only exciting for you as like a singer but it's also exciting for like an audience because audiences like to be challenged audiences like to be shocked and they like things to happen and get surprised by what they're watching when you're performing a song and people are like oh yeah I know this song and they're like you know jamming along to you and then you suddenly switch it up it's like oh my gosh like it's such a like exciting surprise moment I feel like mashups kind of come in and out of popularity a bit they kind of change with the fashion of acapella music I mean when I started acapella in like yeah about five years ago the really popular thing was to like see how many songs you could mash up into one song if you could mash seven different songs together like that wasn't enough like people just wanted <laughs> keep mashing it up and mashing up and mashing it up and like when I was with the Decibels when I was in Cardiff like we did a mashup of Taylor Swift songs there was about five different Taylor Swift songs in this track we did and it was really really cool but you know as time's gone on it, it tends to be a bit more clever like people well not not to say that wasn't clever it was really really clever but like now people tend to only mash up a couple of songs or you know if they do mash up loads, it becomes such a big moment because people just aren't doing it as much. People tend to just stick to the one song and it's like, here is this one song I've just done. And everyone's like, oh, that's really cool. But when you can get like a shock reaction by doing loads of different songs, it's really cool. I mean, the Decibels, the group that I was in when I was in Cardiff, they competed at the ICCAs this year. They got to the semi-final in the UK. One of the songs that they did as part of their set was a Billie Eilish med medley. And it was incredible because 
like the music of Billie Eilish anyway is quite you know risky and it's very new and different even in terms of popular music and to then hear this kind of big mashup when Billie Eilish creates her music so much of it is acapella influenced in that she uses a lot of noises and sounds that she makes when she creates these, these pieces to actually be able to do that acapella you know is incredible because there's so much going on with it. It's funny that uh, you mentioned that like earlier on they may have been throwing more songs in. It's almost kind of similar to the timeline of when like Pitch Perfect came out. And of course they did that big final number with, I don't know how many songs were in that and like samples of songs and stuff. And the sort of people like, oh yeah, we should do this. (laughs) But I think, I genuinely think that's where so much of it came from. Like, I mean, acapella in the UK started before Pitch Perfect came out but the influence that Pitch Perfect had on it is extreme because so many groups started because of it so many groups developed their sound just from these films and like you said like there was this massive mashup number everyone wanted to do that so that's what kind of happened really is you see all these different groups and and like I say if you look at different years you can see that real influence of, you know, especially around 2015, 2016, 2017. There was a, it was a real hot time for mashups and acapella. And a lot of that is probably very heavily influenced by the Pitch Perfect films. So who would have known? Yeah, we just thought acapella influenced Pitch Perfect, but then Pitch Perfect might have had an influence on acapella. Well, definitely. Um, One question we did have was Pirate of Pose, who said, how does the process of breaking down songs work? I think it probably works differently for every single group and for every single, like, arranger or musical director and how they tend to do it. You tend to find that it's broken down in many different ways. You have a bass line, you have a, a melody line, and then you have your beatbox. Those are kind of like your solid parts in the entire song, and those are the bits that you need. If you have a good bass like singer in your group, then you are like sorted because you know I've met some phenomenal bass um, vocalists over the years, and and that's what you need. And you need like a strong VP to kind of keep the beat going. And equally, there are some amazing beatboxes in acapella, especially in the UK. But once you've got that, the bits in the middle can be developed in so many different ways. You pick up on certain melody lines or certain um, harmonic moments within songs and you take those. And once you kind of have the idea of like the chord progression within a song, there's so much flexibility on what you can do with it and the ways that you can change it and move it around. And like I said earlier, like you're constantly trying to find ways to make it exciting and interesting and not get boring because, you know, essentially a lot of songs just do the same thing. But with acapella, you want to keep getting a reaction out of your audience. So doing things that are slightly different and really working on that like dynamic appeal like bits that need to be really quiet and bits that need to be loud that's definitely a big part of it so yeah I think the main thing is is that once you have like the key elements you have your like chordal progression throughout you have your bass line you have your melody line the rest of it is such an experimental game that can be added in some acapella songs when they're arranged they have like four parts if you think of like a choir if you had like a mixed choir you'd have like a soprano an alto a tenor and a bass like you can have more parts but that is the main kind of crux of it 
And from that, you can develop even more. So you could have a four-part arrangement where you have bits going on, but then you could also develop that. I mean, there were some of the songs that we were doing, especially in like towards the end of the time when I was with Aquapella. You know, some of our songs had eight parts in them. You had so much going on. There would be moments when everyone was on their, almost on their own line. So it's about lots of experimentation and, and not being restricted by the lines that you think you have in place. Because actually when you take a chance and you do things slightly differently and you mess with it, it's actually really, really good. I mean, I feel very lucky that I've worked with a lot of very talented people. I mean, when I was in Aquapella, our MD was this amazing, amazing girl called Erin McCullough, who um, was just fantastic. And she created so many wonderful arrangements and well I was in the group with her for three years and she just kept getting better and better and challenging herself and trying new things and and ultimately that's what kind of puts on the best performance if you've got a really sturdy arrangement then the rest is history you've got to go (laughs) I love that though I love that there's this whole element of creativity and pushing the boundaries of what a song can be and you have that freedom and flexibility to do that you said you started off in the decibels yeah yeah so how do you get a basis with an all-female group you have a very low singer (laughs) they do exist (laughs) they are very like few the thing is right when you are younger and you're learning about singing as a girl, you are often told that you want to sing high because it's pretty and it's lovely. And then when you join a cappella, they want people who can sing low. So you almost like train yourself to sing as low as you can. I mean, I'm an alto. And so I would often, when I was in the decibels, I was what we called a lady bass, which is essentially when you are the lowest part in the group and you are often singing very, very low. And it's not necessarily the same as in Pitch Perfect, where this um, like girl comes across with the lowest voice you've ever heard in your life. But it can happen. So in the Decibels currently, or I don't know if she's still in the groove actually, but they've got an EP coming out, I think, next year. So listen out for that. Follow them on social media or whatever. Um, but they have a lady base in that group called um, Mia who is phenomenal has literally pushed all boundaries of acapella singing when it comes to being a low female singer last year uh, or like maybe the year before when they did the ICCAs they opened their ICCA set with um, Human by Rag and Bone Man and she sang it in the same key that Rag and Bone Man sings it like if you consider like yeah, do, 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 do. like it was so low and she like held it on for like a very long time and everyone sat in the audience was just listening to this like beautiful girl sing these such low chunky notes it was like incredible so yeah when you find a good lady bass who can hit those notes and can like really solidify your sound wow yeah that is that's what you want that is what everyone dreams of I'm telling you it's it's a dream when that can happen that's fantastic (laughs) is it true that male groups do better than female groups because of the whole bass thing or is it kind of evened out now I feel like it's maybe evened out now for a very long time especially in UK acapella male groups were very strong 
I, I would definitely encourage anyone listening to this to listen to some UK acapella groups. Like there are, you wouldn't believe it. If you went on Spotify, there are so many groups in the UK that have released music. Um, there's an all-male group from Exeter University called Semitoned who um, were on a load of television programs on BBC. They did like Gareth Malone stuff who they were, you know, in kind of 2015, 2016, 2017, they were like really big in the UK. They were like the like one of the ones to follow. Uh, same with, there was a group from Imperial College London called the Tectonics, who were also the same kind of thing, like very beefy kind of male acapella group sound. And also I think there's something like charming about a group of boys or men like singing together is something that's really quite nice. Um, but actually in terms of sound, I think the main area where it's quite popular, and this is both, I'd say both in the UK and in America, is in mixed acapella groups. Each element has its strengths. And I feel like female acapella groups have definitely got their strengths. And I mean, like I was in one, I loved my time, the Decibels. And like when I watch them now, they are like one of the most incredible groups in the UK at the moment. And there are other female groups in the UK that are really, really strong as well. And what they stand for as well in this kind of like strong female image of like female empowerment. And they often do songs that are really empowering and strong. You know the song Quiet that was performed as part of the women's marches a couple of years ago? The whole background of that was that there was this piece of music that they basically gave around to a load of women all across the kind of country in America and they all came together for the women's marches and they all sang this song together and it was like this really incredible moment of female empowerment and a lot of acapella groups have gone on to then do that song especially female acapella groups. So they are like so strong and they have this big like female empowerment you know, vibe going on and such beautiful music coming out of that. And then I likewise with the males, like I said, they've got this like boyish charm, especially in terms of low notes and music. It's quite similar to like Barbershop, you know, it's got its whole other thing going on as well. But actually like mixed acapella groups kind of take a bit of both. Then the sound you can create is so diverse because you have like these incredible high sopranos and women with these really strong high notes. And then you have these really juicy low notes from the men. I mean, my experience when I went to the ICCAs was that I think there was one male acapella group and there was like one female acapella group, but for the rest of it, it was mixed groups because there's just a lot of diversity that comes with, with a mixed group in terms of your sound. But that's not to say that like female groups and male groups aren't great because they are. Yeah, they have the best of both worlds then, don't they? In, in totally. Such a Hannah Montana moment, totally. <laughs> So with sort of the creativity, do you find that you're constantly trying to push the boundaries of what you can do? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Everyone wants to think that they're doing something different and trying new things. And, you know, you don't want to get bored. You don't want to just get stuck in doing the same thing. And like I said earlier, like acapella has changed so much, even in the past five years, like the Pitch Perfect movies came out and that definitely had such a big influence. But equally, things change over time. People want to try new things and you want to essentially like keep bettering yourself and becoming a better group. And like I said, there's this competitive streak as well because groups want to win these competitions like the ICCAs. They want to be able to do that amazing stuff. And you can only do that by mixing it up and bringing something different to the table. 
it can be done in so many different ways and when you get judged at ICCAs you get judged on a variety of different things and it can be everything to do with movement or tone of quality and blend in the sound that you're putting across or tuning and like all sorts of stuff and then it's the decision of the group to choose like what they want to work on and what they think that they're best at I mean, when I was in Aquapella, the main thing that the group wanted to do was like constantly break, break boundaries and do things that were different. Uh, we did a tour one year. We went on, we decided we were going to go on a tour. The group the year before had been to the ICCAs and had gone to Broadway for the first time. It had been amazing. And they were like, we want to do something. We want to give something back. The group created a tour called the I Wouldn't Be Tour. And it was set up and created uh, all in support of the mental health charity Mind. So the idea was that the group went across the UK, performed to other acapella groups in venues all over the place and raised funds for, for Mind. And a lot of the songs were quite heavy and there was a lot of talk about mental health. And I think in a way, like it opened the floodgates a lot for acapella groups doing stuff for charities. Um, that's not to say it hasn't been happening before. I mean, groups like Out of the Blue, who were on Britain's Got Talent a few years ago, um, they frequently do um, Edinburgh Fringe shows and when they do, they are constantly raising money for charity. But to do kind of like a themed tour based on mental health and mental health awareness was like a really a big thing that was quite different at the time. And it's the same with the music. You're wanting to like challenge yourself and challenge like stereotypes of acapella and what you can put across. And I think that was a big thing for the group, especially for us when we went to Broadway the second time, because we wanted to do a very British song to end our set. We wanted to end our performance essentially with this big British number. And like so many of the Americans like didn't know it. People were tweeting us afterwards and they were being like, we love that 1984 song that you did. I was like, great. I'm so glad. And we got such a good reaction, but like people didn't know what it was and it was so British. And there's this really iconic, video of the arctic monkeys doing i bet that you look on the dance floor at glastonbury when he starts it he does this like speaky bit to the audience where he says something along the lines of like fellas this one's for your girlfriends and then he's like ladies and it's this big moment and we opened our set we opened our final song of our set with that exact moment you can kind of imagine like this american audience seeing this very british guy from Poole in Dorset speaking in this very British accent and then starting this real rock and roll UK moment was just like a real something that, that hadn't been seen for the whole evening so yeah it's definitely cool to have moments like that that people are like can remember you doing and they're like wow like that was a bit different <laughs> yeah especially that you can like create a moment that's memorable that you know is going to stay with them when they leave the show yeah 100% that's all you want it's the same with anything you know like when you're a kid you go and see like musical theatre you go to like the West End you go even when you go to like the cinema and see a film you want to come away being like wow like that was amazing and that's what you want like you want people to come back you want people to tell their friends you know like when you go to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival as an acapella group it's very expensive to do it. Like you have to pay to put your show on, you have to pay for accommodation, you have to pay to get yourselves there. And groups don't tend to make that much money. Like if you can make a profit from an Edinburgh Fringe show, then it's like unheard of. So you want to be getting people in seats. And the, only, the main way that you can do that at the Edinburgh Fringe is word of mouth because 
you can stand and you can fly it and you can try and get as many people through the door but if you know your friend comes and sees it and they're like wow that was so good they're gonna tell other people so you want to get that reaction out of people when they see you perform because they'll keep coming back they'll get people to come back and watch you they'll they'll see you perform and they might buy your cd or they might like buy your merchandise like you want to get that reaction out of people and if you can get that reaction out of people then not only is it great just because you have and you can fill seats in this, but also it's so good like within yourself like to realize that you've given people a great time and you know something that you just enjoy doing for fun yourself can actually be really enjoyable and engage with other people in like a whole other level yeah it's it's really cool do you find that there's quite an audience for acapella who are ready to take it on and kind of fans of certain groups or anything like that you definitely do get it. Um, a lot of it, I think, comes from... A lot of it comes from a bit like friends and family coming to support you and watch you. Like, that is such a big element of it. But equally, things like when you go to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, there are so many different shows on. There are shows literally all day, 24 hours like a day, going on all across the city. And it's comedy and drama and acapella and music and all sorts of different stuff. Everything is everywhere. And you want to get people in seats and you want to get people to come to your show. And the plus side that I've always found with acapella is it is so accessible because it is music. <laughs> and often you won't find anything that is really grotesquely bad about music. Like it is enjoyable for all of the family. And so you often find that if you're busking on the Royal Mile, they have stages all up and down the Royal Mile when, you, when you're at the Edinburgh Fringe and people stop and they listen to you and they take your flyers. And if they see you performing, they're like, oh, wow, I want to go and watch that. And they'll then buy tickets to your show. Obviously, if you're trying to do a comedy show and you're trying to sell a comedy show, you can't really use the stages because it doesn't translate as well like it's easier if you just talk to people and hand out flyers but when you're on the royal mile if you're performing people will come up and hear you and they'll be like oh i want to get that or you know someone might take a flyer from you and if they're like in the middle of the day with all their kids well it makes more sense for them to pay and go and see a music show where actually they're just going to be entertained than maybe take a risk on something that might be a bit more adult in humour and things like that. So, yeah, I feel like you ultimately, especially at the Edinburgh Fringe, you end up with such a wide audience. And equally, like, I found that when we were on Broadway as well, like, you're literally performing in a Broadway theatre. And, like, the tickets aren't cheap. I was really shocked. Was this for the ICCAs? Yeah. Like, my mum and dad came to watch and... When they did, I bought the tickets for them because I was like, oh, I'll just get them. I've heard they're running out. And I went online and it was like £90 a ticket. And they weren't even like front row seats. They were like quite far back. They were so expensive because you get this. It's on Broadway. So you get people who were just going to it because they're like, it's a Broadway show. It's this, you know, big competition. And you do end up with people there who have kind of come on from watching Pitch Perfect shows like that. And they're like, oh, it's the same competition. Like, it's, it's a whole thing. I feel like if you ever want to go and see live acapella, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival is the place to go because you will have so much choice. There are so many groups going. I mean... I have been every year since 2015. I've performed in three fringes and seen three, two or three. 
And I have to say that if you just want to watch acapella, you could just spend the whole time watching acapella and nothing else because there's so much of it. So I would definitely recommend it. If you want to explore more of the UK acapella scene, book a ticket to next year's Edinburgh Fringe Festival because it will not disappoint. I had no idea that that was like a hub for acapella. That's amazing. Huge hub, such a big (laughs) hub, honestly. It's mad. And it's so nice as well because it's the one time a year when UK acapella groups, especially like university-based ones, can actually come and see each other and get together and then not be like a competitive element to it. Because actually, you all just want to sell seats and you all just want to fill your seats and get people in. But you know, you're on the Royal Mile and you might be busking on the stages and there might be another acapella group flying for their show. But if they see you're performing, they'll come over and they'll grab some of your flyers and hand them out for you. And then there's like people meet up like at different pubs or outside spaces and, you know, have like a, a drink and a get together and people have house parties. This is all, you know, pre-covid I, just, I feel like i should say that like you know yeah we're still doing we're not um it's you know like it was such a big part of it and it's so nice to like come together with all these people and see them all and you end up making like friends like really good friends i mean i was lucky that i've been in two acapella groups of which i have friends within those acapella groups who i would count as some of my closest and longest term friends But actually, equally, I've got friends who I consider really close friends of mine who are from groups that I was never in, from universities that I never went to. Quite a community then with acapella. Yeah, really big community, which is is nice because when you do something you love, it's really nice to then engage with people who feel the same about the thing that you really like. You often have lots in common. You know, you're going through the same stuff. Most of you are juggling a degree and a second degree in acapella you know that's what you live and breathe so yeah it's really really cool it's a really cool thing to do that's awesome it's kind of like the fandom of pitch perfect they <laughs> is you know like it, it it genuinely is like it's one of those things where fandoms and things like acapella like genuinely if there is something that you're passionate about and you enjoy you can make real solid friendships out of it and it can be something that kind of carries on throughout your life I mean I am not in a group currently but I still have my toe dipped in acapella and you know there will come a time where you know when the Edinburgh Fringe Festival comes back next year hopefully like I will go and I will see and support these other groups and so it's yeah it's like a really cool thing and it's a really cool thing to be a part of. You mentioned that it costs quite a lot to go to places like the Edinburgh Fringe or do you have to pay to travel over to the ICCAs or to take part in these? So like, how do you fund it all? Like, is it sponsored or is it all just self-funded? Money. Now that is something that (laughs) groups don't tend to have. I mean, the Um, only like inkling we got from watching the movie is I think there's a deleted scene where the Bellas go like door to door, like singergrams, but that's like the only kind of, idea that you get that they have to raise money for what they do yeah you know a lot of it depends some universities will put lots of money into their acapella groups because they are very well known or because they have the money to do so a lot of acapella groups are societies at universities which means that you can often apply for some funding but universities aren't going to give you tens of thousands of pounds to travel across the world to go and sing in a 
competition some might but often some won't and we found that when we went to broadway we didn't get any funding for it so it was all done on fundraising we did concerts we went busking like every single weekend we would go out into the streets with a bucket and sing our hearts out for hours in hopes that people would put money in a bucket so that we could raise funds we would do like GoFundMe pages and beg people to give us some money. And like I said, though, like the UK acapella community is so good and so strong that often, you know, if a group wins and they go over to Broadway, people put money in. People will give like a fiver to help you get there, which is amazing. And it's the same with the Edinburgh Fringe. Like you find that it tends to get to around January, February, March time. And a lot of acapella groups will start putting up GoFundMe pages and Kickstarters to try and get people to donate to them so that they can fund their trip to Edinburgh. It's one of those things that can cost a lot of money, which is why people just want to fill their seats so badly. But it's one of those things. It's like, you know, when you're a child and you really want to buy a nice pair of shoes or a games console, you work hard and you do what you can to get that money. And it's the same with acapella. It's like you wouldn't take no for an answer. You would do everything in your power to be able to get there and do what you want to do. And it ultimately works out in the end. But yeah, unfortunately, that has to be a lot of hard work. Acapella does tend to become a bit of like a part-time job. Like I said, it's like a second degree because you, you might rehearse like three or four times a week and then go busking at weekends and then have concerts. Like on the lead up to competition times, you might do like workshops. I mean, we used to do this really cool thing when I was with Acapella where we would go on a retreat weekend, literally like pitch perfect, <laughs> where we would rent like an airbnb in the middle of the countryside and we would just sit and we would sing all day long and then we would go out and do nice things like we'd like roast marshmallows on a bonfire and we would um it's so much like pitch perfect when i'm saying it now i, I like never really thought of it like that and i'm like oh my gosh give me a cup like literally <laughs> not realize but it's all about bonding as well and like bonding within a group and you make these really incredible friendships. And often that's like such a big part of like sounding good as well is like having that trust and that friendship. So those kind of retreat weekends where you go away and you just practice all the time is such a big part of that. But yeah, it becomes such a big commitment that you kind of live and breathe it. And sometimes people who aren't in it with you don't quite get it. Like, they're like, oh, you're doing acapella again. Okay, fine. Sorry, yeah, no, I can't go away. This I can't go on holiday because I've got, like, four days' worth of rehearsals I have to be at and stuff. But, you know, when you're in it, you wouldn't change it for the world because it's such a... Like I said, it's a community and it's you make friendships that, you know, are so tight because you spend so much time with these people as well. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. I was going to ask you, actually, like, how much of your week did it take up, like, especially when you're at uni studying, like, how much does that balance out with what you have to do for the acapella group? Yeah, I mean, it really depends on where you are, what group you're at. When I was in Cardiff, especially, in my final year of my degree, I was also the president of the society. So I was essentially running four groups. And we'd changed a lot as well. Like, we restructured a lot of the way we ran the society when I was president. And it, like, it took up so, many, so much of my time, like, so, so much. 
and you kind of have to find the time to balance it. When I was writing my dissertation, I'd like be in the library all day writing my dissertation and then I would go down to rehearsal for three hours and then I would come back and I would start again doing all the work. And it's so weird. I used to work in the students' union quite a lot and we always did rehearsals um, on a Wednesday night, which for a lot of universities is like sports night. So it's where they all go on, out on, to the SU on the Wednesday night or whatever and get very drunk. And I would be like writing my dissertation all day in the SU and then I go to rehearsal in the SU and then I would go back to the SU to carry on typing and you can hear like the thumping music downstairs as everyone's partying and then you'd leave the SU after like working all day at like two in the morning and you'd bump into members of your group as they're like leaving the club night you're like what is going on it's so weird but you know it's it's part of the commitment you just accept and you take and you you do what you can with it and it's like anything like it's just trying to get the right balance and make sure that you can do it and you can schedule your time well and you often are told when you join a group like what the commitment is expected of you because it it can be so intense i mean when i was with aquapella we were rehearsing like a couple of times a week but it was like four hours each night and then on a weekend and you're busking constantly and so it, it does become a time commitment but it's also a big part of your social life as well so you kind of don't mind too much it's like a nice break as long as you enjoy it and like the atmosphere that's being created then you don't mind too much putting in all the work of of what it creates and what it builds exactly it's worth it you know when I look back on the time I'm like do I ever think I committed too much to acapella well some people might say yes but when you think about like the friendships that you got out of it and the experiences I had like Literally, in the past five years of doing a cappella music, I, I performed in three different groups. I was a two-time national champion of a cappella in a group that held the title of three-time national champion. I recorded an album. I recorded multiple music videos. I, I performed on Broadway. I made some of my closest and best friends I became an award-winning president of a society. I created these incredible concerts and performance. And actually, I'm like, everything I did was so amazing. And yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world. Like, I have no regrets. I might have got a first if I didn't do all of it, but I have a 2-1 in my degree, so I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, that's it. That's really cool though because like I think that's one thing talking to a lot of people in the fandom is that they love the community that is felt that these girls joined something and kind of created a sisterhood and they created bonds with each other and to be able for you to have that experience in real life and know what acapella can do for you like like you said the friendships that you've made the experiences that you've had that you wouldn't have had any other way. It's exactly that. When you have a shared love and a passion for something, it can really pull people together and you become very supportive of each other. And it, yeah, it is like you see them in the film. That is exactly how it is when you're in an acapella group. I mean, we had, um, I know I keep talking about this album that I recorded. Um, Self-plugging yourself, that's it. <laughs> plugging my album. It was called Telos by Acapella. You can find it on all platforms. But when we were recording Talos and we were looking for certain songs, we were trying to work out what song we wanted to put on the album at one point next. And we weren't really sure what to do. 
and um, one of the boys in the group, it was his first year in the group and, you know, we were all kind of still getting to know each other at that point. He'd probably been in the group for about four months and he was looking through this playlist trying to work out what kind of music we should do next and he came across Everglow by Coldplay, which is like a very like beautiful, beautiful song. And he was like, I love this song. And he showed it to our MD, Erin. And Erin was like, wow, yes, I love that song. I've always loved that song. I've always thought it would be, make an incredible arrangement and I'd always love to do it. And at that point, my friend, he turned around to Erin and, and a couple of our other friends. And he basically said that the song meant a lot to him because unfortunately, the year prior, one of his best friends had passed away. It meant a lot to him because it made him remember the relationship he'd had with this friend. And he shared that with all of us as a group. And it was a very emotional moment. And Erin, because of this story, decided that it was the right decision to create this song and to arrange it. And, you know, we did. And it's beautiful. And it was put on the album. And it was dedicated to this boy, Joe. And it was just a very poignant moment. And it's actually something that you makes you realize that like you build such big relationships with people and it's not about the music anymore. It gets to a point where you just become friends and you become a family and you're all different ages as well. Like you think when you join an acapella group, you might join in your first year of uni. So you could be like 18 when you join an acapella group. And there could be people in that group that are, you know, up to 25, 26 years old, depending on like where they are. So you kind of build these like, like a family really. And you know, that song became such a big part of our year and it got to the point, you know, we went to Broadway and we performed and the day after it was like 10 o'clock at night and we decided we were going to go to the top of the um, Rockefeller Center. We stood on the top of the rock and it was like dark and you could just see all the skyline around you. It was absolutely beautiful. And we just stood in a circle and we just shared this incredible time. We'd like performed on Broadway and it was amazing. And we stood in a circle and we sang Everglow together on the top of the Rockefeller Center, just in a circle. We weren't singing it to anyone. We are just singing it to each other. And it was just a, like one of those moments where like to be a part of it and to realize that like how much you all mean to each other, you know, you shared so much and, and, you know, you've shared the good times and the bad times. And it, it, I don't know, it brings you together in so many ways. And yeah, it definitely becomes like a family. It's, you know, that's how it is. And I guess, yeah, it's, it's how it is in so many areas and things. But I think that Pitch Perfect does kind of get it down to a T really when it shows these girls who come together and end up like loving each other so strongly because that is what it's like. And that you can have these like special moments together. You've worked so hard. You create this community and like you said, a family. And you can have these moments that you probably wouldn't have anywhere else. So true. So, so true. Did you have to have any previous experience before you joined or before you auditioned? Or no. was it just a case of having a go? Yeah. A lot of people just go in and saying, I mean, I did a music degree and I was in choirs and I sang like it was my it was my thing but some people didn't really do much before some people had never really sung choral music before um I've been in acapella groups with people who don't read music I've been in acapella groups with people who have only ever sung at home in the shower or in front of the mirror like you get such a wide range of people who do it um, but if you have the drive and you have the passion for it, then anyone can go for it. Like, it's not just people who are like music degrees and things like that. It, 
you fit well and you've you know you can hold a tune then for most people it's fine it, it's a good it's a good starting place but yeah you end up with a massive mix of people so what was the auditions like I think they definitely vary depending on like where you're going pretty sure different groups do different stuff when I auditioned for the decibels my audition literally was me walking in a room singing 30 seconds of a song and then leaving the room and then getting a call like the next day to say that I got in the group oh really Uh, yeah it was like really nice like really good however like it's quite competitive. So when I was president, we changed it. So it was like, you did a first audition and then there was like a callback. So when you came to the callbacks, it was basically a chance to like sing with the group and meet people. And that's how it was really with Aquapella as well. When I was with them, it was, you know, you did your audition and once you auditioned, you then got invited to a callback and the callbacks were literally you were taught a piece of music that the group already did you sang with the rest of the group you got a chance to like meet people and then the group got a chance to kind of see like how you fit in as well it's like you want someone with a really good voice but you also want someone that you're happy to spend like most of your time with um it's a lot of that it's a lot of kind of character sensing as well and and then um from there you just kind of choose who you want to be in the group which is really exciting but I'm sure the process is different wherever and it's probably different for all different groups and things like that but yeah generally it tends to just be a bit of singing see if you can follow the music okay and like work well within the dynamic of the group and then it's just go time one area we haven't really talked about that's kind of big in the movies and I was kind of intrigued about was choreography because obviously yeah. you've got the singing side of it, but then you also have to be able to do a certain amount of choreography with the stuff that you do. How does that work? Choreography is definitely an interesting one in terms of acapella groups. You don't tend to let people know that they need to be able to dance because if you put on like an audition form, like must be able to dance, there is a large possibility that they won't be able to and they therefore won't put their name down. And actually you'd much prefer to have someone in your group who is an amazing singer and an average dancer than have someone who like, you know, can't sing at all and is like the most incredible dancer ever because it's mainly about the music. But the choreography is definitely a big part of it. I think like uh, <laughs> some people like to call it like movement with like a microphone because um, a lot of competition is done with a handheld mic. Like it isn't pitch perfect. So a lot of it is like, you have to be able to like dance with something in your right hand. So it's a lot of like one armed movement. It's quite funny though, because you know, you do tend to find generally, and this is a massive generalization, but girls tend to be a bit better at picking it up than the boys are. But you just kind of have to have fun with it in the end. Like you just, it's all about having a laugh. And we talk a lot about groove when we're doing stuff. Like if you can just like move your body and look like you're enjoying yourself, the rest comes to you quite naturally. Choreography can be scary but it's never really as intense and horrible and as you think it could be like you're not doing like a passadoble on the stage or anything <laughs> it's usually just like maybe like a little two-step so you don't like, need to like do a certain amount of cardio you don't have to be like pumping it a little bit just to be prepared to sing with a uh, with dancing 
you know what you joke the most fit i ever am is that two week period over the edinburgh fringe festival when we're performing because when you're doing like an hour show every day of continuous dance it is bloody tiring like and like if your adrenaline's up as well like i found during competition especially if you like are putting everything into it by the time you actually stop you're like (gasps) i remember i came off stage on broadway you have 12 minutes to perform a set so it's like very intense you just like go all in for it and i remember coming off stage and nearly passing out because i just could not breathe properly because i'd like put everything into this one performance so maybe i needed to do like a proper cardio intensive warm-up beforehand but that's something they definitely don't tell you before you get started I love it though. It's just that we're not going to tell them that they need to know dancing, but we'll just surprise them when they get in. Oh, it's so true. But then you also, it's like you talk to people and they're like, I can't dance. And you're like, no, look, you're an amazing singer. You like no rhythm. You'll be fine. It's not as bad as you think it's going to be. And then it comes down to it and you're like, oh, you really can't dance. <laughs> we'll just start slow. We'll just start. Just find the beat, you know. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so did you ever do a riff off? Yes. So is this a real thing? Do people actually no. do this? It's not really a real thing. We used to do a thing when we were in Cardiff um, where we would do an a cappella initiation. It wasn't like rugby teams do it where it's like horrible and you end up like eating things you shouldn't eat it was basically like a pub crawl around the city but they would you were put into groups like teams um, within the society and you would go into each place and the idea is that you would set tasks to do that were usually very simple and just a bit of like making friends kind of situation and um we did riff offs as part of that um but they weren't really riff offs in the same sense that they are in pitch perfect because I'm really sorry, but that is like very difficult to do. To like come up with an arrangement on the spot is bloody difficult. So you just end up like songs that have this word in it and then you kind of just all sing it and then some people try and add some like harmonies in and you try and make it work. But it's not how it is in the films. It's a lot messier and it's not as good. The one thing that acapella in the UK like to do, which is a bit similar to a riff-off but it's not quite a riff-off is a thing called a ball game okay it's like, which basically it's where you you have a ball an imaginary ball it's not a real ball you have a ball in your hands and you stand in a circle someone will have the built ball to start off with and they'll start so they might sing like a rhythm rhythm or they might like sing a melody line so i don't know something like and then people around the circle will be like throw me the ball and then you throw them the ball and then they'll come in with a harmony line or like another bit so the idea is that by the time you've thrown the ball around the circle you've created an arrangement that's cool people will come in like people might be like oh that sounds like i heard it on the grapevine or that sounds like hit the road jack and like they add like vocal lines in And it tends to sound a lot better than lots of people trying to create a song from the top of their head based around the word, like, love. Like, it's, that's pretty impossible. (laughs) Yeah, it's one thing every time you watch, you think, how do they remember the words to all these songs, like, off the top of their head and just do it? (laughs) 
I don't even remember the words to our songs when we would do them. Like, <laughs> you always have this, like, hope in yourself that you're going to not get given the solo on a really important song. Because if you do and you forget the words, you feel very bad about it. And it happens. So, obviously, we've got people who are really, really big fans of Pitch Perfect. How close is Pitch Perfect to being in a real-life a cappella group? I'd say very similar. I'd say um, there are obviously things that are different. You don't tend to live all in the same house, especially <laughs> not in the UK. You I love how that's where in, you start at. Like, <laughs> I'm going to start with the basics. You don't live together in a sorority house. I don't know if they do in America. Maybe they do. But in the UK, you certainly don't. You might live with one other person from your group, but that is usually the maximum. But in terms of, like I was saying earlier, like how you feel in the group, like the relationships you build in that group, that's very much the same as it is in Pitch Perfect. You do create these really tight relationships. You know, everyone is trying really, really hard to like do well competitively and to get further in the ICCAs. That's a big part of it. You're not necessarily having cardio sessions where you're running around an auditorium, but like you have lots and lots of rehearsals and stuff to kind of get as good as you can be. I've never quite found someone that's voice as a woman could drop that low. I don't necessarily think that that is something that's true. Um, but I think that genuinely just like the competitive nature of acapella is definitely like it is in the film. I think that the relationships you form, not only in your own group, but external, like acapella romance, romances are definitely a thing. <laughs> they are definitely a thing. So, you know, there are so many elements that are very, very similar. And, you know, there are some elements that are better, you know. The relationships you build are almost better than you see them in the films. Like, these are friends that you kind of have for ages. It's very similar to Pitch Perfect, which I didn't quite realise until we had this conversation, especially when I was talking about the retreat and I was like, oh my gosh, that literally happens in the film. What about um, like uh, performance-wise then? Because obviously when you watch the film, it's a very high-energy, choreographed, and they're singing, like, performance. Yeah. Is that actually possible? Yes. Really? Mm -hmm. It's expected a lot of the time. You, when you do the ICCAs, you get a 12 minute long set. You have to tick certain requirements to get points in certain areas. And you want it to make as much impact as possible. So you do full dance routines. You do some standing, some not. I think the one thing in Pitch Perfect is obviously because they can't show like a full 12 minute set, you just end up with like one three and a half minute long song, which is great. And it's an amazing song. The general format for an ICCA set is it tends to be about three songs. With Pitch Perfect, obviously they show like three and a half minutes and it's like, this is what you do. And it is like that, but you know, it, you do more. So you tend to be, it's a 12 minute long set. The time starts when you sing your first note. Oh, really? So they literally time you from that moment? They time you from that moment. You then start singing. You are all on microphone, which I don't know if they are in the pitch. I can try to remember. Are they all on microphone and pitch perfect? Or is it just some of them? 
So if I remember correctly, the first few times you see them do it, they're not. But then the final performance, they are all on mic. Yeah, so everyone is mic'd up. You all have a microphone. You do essentially a 12 minute long set. When you get down to your final 30 seconds, there is somebody that sits in the front row and they hold up a time card that lets you know that you're running out of time. And if you go over 12 minutes, you get penalised. Oh, really? Over the time. Yeah, you get points deducted. Wow, so it's like really strict, like the parameters of that. Yeah, very strict. The performance a lot of them are really high energy because like I said earlier you want to make an impact you want people to watch it and be like damn that's amazing so you do a lot of choreo there's some choreo there's some not but yeah for the most part that performance it's a very similar vibe to what you see in Pitch Perfect. I didn't know that I always thought that maybe it was a bit more like extreme but like I can't imagine like you must be sweating when you get off that stage for 12 minutes like just like ready to drop you literally are like and you imagine all the lights are on you as well because you're usually on like theater stages you stand there and you are sweating so much and putting so much effort into your dances I would definitely recommend like going online and watching ICCA sets from over the past few years because there are some incredible ones up there The group that won the ICCAs in America last year, so we competed against them, were a group called the NY Harmonics from New York University. And they were amazing. You can find Aquapella's ICCA set from last year, which is also very high movement-wise. There's a group called the Nor'easters, who are like, very well known within the acapella community from America who won the ICCAs three years ago, I think it was, and their ICCA sets up. So yeah, definitely would advise going on because you can watch for yourself like how intense and extreme these routines are because people just go out and they lay all their cards on the table. Everyone's there for the same reason. It's such a big competition. Everyone wants to win. So everyone just puts everything out on the line. And then you've got the added sort of element of it being the finals and you're on Broadway, like everybody's there to do the same thing. And yeah. Yeah. It's a whole thing as well, because like, especially when you do Broadway, the general day in the life of being on Broadway is that you arrive to the theatre like first thing in the morning and you've got all your stuff with you. You've got your like dress and your outfit and your shoes and everything you need. You turn up at the theatre, they give you your passes, which is like an all access pass, which gets you in wherever you need to be on site. And then you go in and the first thing you do is you sit down and you sign in and you do like a, hi everyone, how are we doing? Nice to see you all, great. And then they make you draw your number so basically with the ICCAs you don't have a set list in terms of who is coming on at what what point you all take a number out of a hat and that number is what position you're going to perform in the show so you don't know you like where you're going to perform until you pull your number out of the hat And they get like one member of each group to come up and they stand there and they're like, hey, who are you? And you'd be like, I'm Maisie. And they'd be like, what group are you from? You're like, Aquapella. And then your group are like, woohoo. And then you pull a number out and that number is where you're going to be. And obviously no one wants to go first 
because everyone's like if you go first you're going to be like terrified and nervous when we did broadway we pulled 10th so we went on last which was so <laughs> cool because we were like even if we don't win like we've just closed a broadway show like that's so cool so you will do that and then they go through like health and safety and like how the show's gonna work and what time your sound checks are and then they have like a they always do this group number right so they do a rehearsal for your group number where they've given you a piece of music a few weeks in advance you all learn it together you sit there you're like oh this is fun lovely you practice it on the stage and then throughout the day you go back and you have to sound check and when you sound check you literally have 12 minutes minutes to sound check your set and you can choose to either run your set beginning to end or you can break it down into other elements but you have to choose what you want to do because you don't have much time you literally go on you do it and then they they're like your time's up and you have to leave the stage straight away so it's so intense and then you literally go back to your dressing room which isn't a dressing room it is a hotel room in the like Marriott hotel across the road. It's so bizarre. So you go in there and then you get changed into your outfit and then you go and do Broadway. And it's just so mind boggling. You're like, what is this? So it's such a long day and it's so intense. And it's all for this one 12 minute long set. And then after everyone's performed, everyone's done, the judges go off, they make their decisions and then everyone comes back. And they announce and they have special awards as well. So it's like, you don't just have first, second, third. You also have like best soloist and best choreography and best overall performance and best beatboxer. So there's all sorts going on. Um, But yeah, it's pretty intense. (laughs) Just a little bit. A little bit, you know, just do it all for that one 12 minute slot. No pressure. And sometimes when you're on stage during that 12 minute slot, you mess up, you might do things wrong. I didn't mess up on Broadway. I think in the quarter final, I messed up and you just have to get on with it. But then you always have that thought in your head of like, I've messed up. Have I let the whole team down? Are they going to notice? Like, <laughs> notice. When, um, when we did the quarter final, I had, so you have your microphone and then on the microphone you have like a, What's that thing called that they put on to make it? It's like bigger. It's like oh, they like a like a cover. And I was dancing on the stage, and I hit mine off my microphone. I should have just left it, but I felt really bad because I thought someone was going to trip on it. So I picked it up mid performance, and then I threw it into the wings because I was like, oh, I need to get off stage. I've messed up, I've messed up. And I threw it, but it didn't go into the wings. It hit my friend in the head. So if you watch back the video of us and this thing, you literally can see me like lean down, pick up this thing. And then I had to do this dance move where I threw my arm out. So I used that as the perfect time to throw the thing. And you literally just watched me throw this thing straight into my friend Phoebe's head. That's amazing. (laughs) And you still got to the final. That's impressive. Still got to the final. Um, I had a few questions from a, a few other people. RJ wanted to know, what's the best showcase of acapella from any of the Pitch Perfect performances, if you were to pick one? Oh, gosh. There's quite a few. I really, I'm trying to think of which one my favourite is. 
I think watching them, my favourite moment was probably when at the end of the first film, I remember watching them. I think like the one that always stuck out to me is the moment when they do the big mashup at the end of the first film that they win with because you're always like, yeah, girl power, love that. I think actually when I think about Flashlight, because I just think it's such a beautiful moment and actually like, I think that it's such a true moment to like being in an acapella group and like bringing back all those people that it's meant so much to over the years and the fact that they would all come back for it. Acapella groups do that all the time. Like I think that's really? quite a, yeah, like they, they love a reunion. Lots of groups do reunion shows. Um, I think it was like two years ago, a group in Bristol called the Bristol Suspensions celebrated. I think it was their like five year anniversary. So they put on a big reunion show a group called All the King's Men from London. They did a 10-year reunion show and they got people back from all over who came and performed. I mentioned earlier, at Capella, the group I was in, we did Purple Rain. And when we released Purple Rain on Spotify, we created a music video to go with it. And in that music video, we brought back a load of past members to be in it as well. So if you ever watch that video on YouTube, there's like... 30 of us on this stage singing together and that is not how big aquapella usually is that is just because we brought everyone back so i think that's a really special moment i think those moments are really nice though it's like which film is it in where they do um the cup song but they all sing it is that in the first film or is that, that is the that's the second film around the campfire yes i love that moment maybe that's <laughs> one of my favorite bits because like it's those moments as well like stuff like that happens you know like where you're all just sat together and then you just start singing stuff and I just yeah I think stuff like that's really nice spontaneously singing another question that she had was do people like Lily actually sing for their auditions or do they have to show off their non-singing skills in a different way so Lily's the one who's the beatboxer yes the one who ate her twin in the womb if you don't sing and you beatbox, you just beatbox in your audition. Like we would never force anyone to sing if they didn't want to. Some beatboxers generally are incredible singers and then some beatboxers just have incredible rhythm. When I was in Aquapella, for instance, our beatboxer, Michael, has a phenomenal singing voice. Likewise, in the Decibels currently, their beatboxer is a girl called Jade, who is also a phenomenal singer. So I believe that they both sang in their auditions as well. But if you just want to beatbox, you just beatbox because some people are just way more talented in other ways. Like I could never make some of those noises. (laughs) I wish I could. I wish I could beatbox. Talking of acapella romance, my boyfriend... I met when I was at Cardiff University doing acapella and he was in the male acapella group and I was in the female acapella group. Oh, look at that. <laughs> like pitch perfect. And um, he's a beatboxer, but he's a beautiful singer. Like he has the most incredible voice. So, but he's always like beatboxing and he's trying to like teach me how to do it. And I'm like, just accept that I cannot make those noises. Like I can sing high, I can sing low. I cannot beatbox so is there like a limit to how many beatboxes they have in a group or is it should they like find one and then stick with one i think it depends on the group again like um if you have an amazing beatboxer then they will probably be your standard beatboxer and if they don't really sing if they prefer to just beatbox then they will beatbox but some groups have a couple like i mentioned the bristol suspensions earlier they love that name by the way i know great name (laughs) 
they had two beatboxes for ages like and often when you have multiple ones it means you can layer your percussion really well which is amazing but often if you have a really good beatboxer they tend to carry that you need to use their amazing talent definitely yeah all the weird noises they create (laughs) exactly exactly do you have a favorite character from pitch perfect there are so many characters i love and i just i really don't like anna kendrick's character is that like really (laughs) it's a whole host of the fandom just be like (gasps) no (laughs) i love her um i really like ben platt's character Benji. Benji. Yeah. I really like him. And I think maybe that's just more for comedy value. He has a great voice as well. He has such a beautiful voice. And the thing as well, as you watch that film, and obviously now, like Ben Platt's gone on to be in like Dear Evan Hansen. Like he's got this incredible musical theatre career. And if you follow him on, do you follow him on Instagram? Yeah. Oh my God. Like the videos that he just puts up of him just in the house singing. I'm like, how are you that? talented but I love him and I feel like he doesn't get enough credit for how incredibly talented he is like I think he is amazing like really I mean Fat Amy is just an icon and I'm sure that like when I ever like watching the Pitch Perfect films like she's always the one that will make me like belly laugh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so funny and the thing is right is that i feel like every group has like a fat amy character but like having that kind of person that just makes everybody laugh and like is just very normal and doesn't take it too seriously and is just there to have fun you need that in a group because if you're super ultra competitive and you're trying to win all these things you need someone to just like bring you back down and be like <laughs> let's just have a laugh here so no i think yeah I think it's probably between Benji and Fat Amy. I like it. Yeah. I like that as well that you, you mentioned, you know, just you need somebody in a group who just helps to bring a good tone in that you're not too serious all the time. You do. <laughs> you know, like I said earlier, being in an acapella group, it is like being in a bit of a weird, dysfunctional family. Um, you all have your different things that you do and you bring to the group yeah you need all sorts of different characters to be able to do it and you need like a really good like structure in terms of like people in charge and like running the system i mean we were in aquapella for three years there were 14 of us in the group and we had a five member committee and that committee like ran all of our finances and sorted all of our music and did our choreography and like made sure that we were doing everything we needed to and covered our social media and all that kind of stuff and you need that structure and you need those people, but you also need the people who like turn up to rehearsal and just make everyone smile and laugh. And you need the people that, you know, tell you off when you're not doing the right things. And you need the people to be there as a shoulder to cry on when you need one. And you need someone there to like point you in the right direction if you're really doing the wrong thing. So you need a bit of everything. So yeah, it's definitely good to have a Fat Amy-esque personality in the group. I love it. And I love that analogy as well, just like how you need all the parts to kind of make the group dynamic work. How would the ballers do if they were in a real ICCA competition? Ooh. <laughs> oh, that's difficult. Thing is, is that I feel like they would probably do quite well. The fact that they win the first in the first film kind of does make sense because they have this thing about them that is completely different and no one has heard before. 
you know, they, they are incredible in what they do and they perform and it is amazing. And the fact that they have that little bit different with the girl with the super low voice, I think that that gives them that advantage that maybe you wouldn't see in other female acapella groups. So that's really cool. It's hard to see because, you know, they only did a three minute long song. It's hard that's to judge. I think they would have definitely got to the final just from having that super low female singer to like really give them that little bit of something special and um they've got really good energy so i'd say they definitely would get to the final like do i think that they would win i mean if they were up against some of the like american and uk acapella groups that are out there today i don't think they would win oh that's interesting (laughs) but that's why i completely like encourage anybody to go and listen to some of the other groups that are currently in the UK and in America at the moment, like people have EPs and albums on Spotify and, you know, Apple music and all sorts of things like that. So like go and listen to groups, you know, like the Nor'easters and um, the Bristol suspensions and Aquapella and all these men and the SoCal vocals, like these different groups that have so much going on for them. They have lots of music available and accessible and just yeah like see what's out there because i think you would be very much surprised when you listen to some of these incredible groups like how amazing and what the standard truly is blow your mind (laughs) we'll have to put some links in of some like videos that people can check out and they can like see what people are doing now because i think also like we mentioned previously how potentially the influence of pitch perfect in the acapella community and obviously a few years later seeing how they continue to push the boundaries and like push things forward that maybe now like it's a whole different level than where it was a hundred percent i think that pitch perfect has given an acapella the commercial advantage that it didn't have before it's made people aware it's made acapella groups and universities more popular it's you know done so so much for it as a performance outlet and i think that people over the years have just taken what they were given and they've added to it and added it added to it and added to it and now because groups are constantly challenging what it means to be an acapella group there's just so much incredible stuff out there I think that for anyone that really loves Pitch Perfect and really loves the idea of acapella from that side, I would encourage you to go and listen to other acapella groups because you might like them differently. You might still prefer Pitch Perfect, which is totally fine, but people just don't realise that it's out there and it's so attainable and, you know, it's so amazing to be able to listen to it and kind of enjoy it from that standpoint. This is from Teresa. She says, I've had a lot of friends who competed in collegiate acapella. They often had criticisms about some of the stuff that happened in the movie. I'd love to hear about what they do to limit or expand physical movement as to not lose their breath in terms of choreography and how they pick a good song to sing acapella to. I'm going to dissect it into three. So the first thing obviously was the thing about friends in acapella criticizing pitch perfect which i i can understand because i feel like pitch perfect does for acapella is amazing it brings a lot like i said it brings so much exposure to it but there it's there is so much going on in acapella like i said like the amount of commitment the time commitments and stuff that go into it you don't really see that in the film like just how much goes into these amazing groups and the performances you do so 
I'd say if anything, maybe it's just the fact that it doesn't highlight truly how much it takes because some you might watch it and just think, oh, anyone could do that. I could do that with my eyes closed. Mm. But actually, like to do well in acapella and be able to like go on Broadway and do that takes time, it takes energy, and it takes so much commitment and so much goes into that. When you watch Pitch Perfect, you take from it what you want to take from it. And I think it's a great comedy series of films that are funny and witty and lighthearted and bring attention to a really cool thing that didn't really have any exposure before the films came out. I wouldn't criticise Pitch Perfect. If someone came up to me and I was like, oh, I'm in a cappella group, and they were like, like Pitch Perfect, I'd be like, yeah, like Pitch Perfect, because that is the accessible way of people understanding what it is that you do. And I mean, you and I have talked about a cappella in the past, like over dinner, and when we've talked about it, we've probably covered it for like 10 minutes. You can't really give as much detail as I've given you now in a 10-minute long conversation. I think that that is a big part of it. The second thing about breath control and dancing, a lot of it is very tactical. So it's about giving yourself tactical breaks in your set. So like I said, you get given a 12 minute long set. You do not want to be continuously dancing really, really, really hard for 12 minutes. So it's about giving yourself tactical breaks also, it's about like not overdoing it at certain times, making sure you give yourself a chance to catch your breath back and to recenter and to be like, okay, now I can move on to the next thing. Also, a lot of it is tactical in terms of like microphone placement. If you're going to get really, you know, to the nooks and crannies of it, if you are really out of breath during a song and you are holding your microphone right in front of your mouth, all you're going to hear is. <sighs> So you have to move your microphone out the way of your mouth when you stand still so that it's not being amplified to the entire space. For one, you get a bit more physically fit when you're constantly rehearsing it. So that is helpful. But also it's just being very careful about how you set up your routines within your performance to make sure that you're able to balance it well and still sing to the best of your ability and also like prioritizing the singing like in any competition in an acapella setting you're going to get more points if you sing better and if your dancing inhibits you from singing well then you're going to lose points so really it's like just doing the right dances that complement the music come across well but also don't make you sound like you're having an asthma attack on stage and the final thing in that question was about choosing the right songs and I'm sure that every group has like a different thing that they want to get across on stage a lot of people tend to try and follow a bit of like a setup of your sets like I said most groups tend to do three songs you want like quite a, an impactful start so something that really grabs everyone's attention in the beginning you want something that goes out with a bang to end it and then the middle eight times out of ten tends to be a ballad and that is the main thing one thing that they really love in ICCAs and that they always like give you loads of points on is um, transitions so to be able to transition well between your songs is such a big thing as well like from my own experience when we did ICCAs our final set was God is a Woman by Ariana Grande which we ended like in a big like and like 
God is a woman. We were all stood at the front of the stage, like belting out, like the girls were in the front. It was a real like, yeah, women moment. And then we ended it and it cut from the girls being like, woman, and to the boys just singing. And it was this real like, whoa moment. And then it really calmed down. And there was this beautiful transition where we all kind of moved back and we stood in a semicircle and we sang this really beautiful love song. that was really, really chilling. And then we ended the love song stood in this semicircle and everyone was like wow and we took a moment and then we went into dance floor where it was like we're now going to bring us up again and it's going to be like a big moment if you're in an acapella group or if you were want to get the best set you just choose songs that complement your group well complement your sound well and get the best impact from your audience like you said you want to you want people going away remembering who you are i mean even if you don't win, you want to be outside and you want someone to come up to you and be like, I love that song. I loved it when you did that. So yeah, that's the, that's the main thing really. You don't realise quite how tactical it is. Yeah. Everything is so tactical, like so, so tactical because you get 12 minutes. It's not long. Like it's over before you know it. And the next thing you know, like your parents have paid a hundred pounds each to come and watch you sing on stage on Broadway for 12 minutes. Like it's not long, but you need to make it count and you need to make it feel like, wow, I wish I could watch them for longer. So you just, yeah, you just do everything you can to just make the most of that 12 minutes, give the audience and the judges the best performance that kind of embodies everything that you stand for as a group and everything that you want to show off really as we're kind of coming to a close is there anything you want to plug or like point people towards i think i've probably said a lot as it's gone through i mean if i'm going to really plug anything i think i'd be told off if i didn't plug the album that we recorded with aquapella which is on spotify it's called telos and it's by aquapella so like water so a-q-u-a pella and it's a great album. It's 14 tracks long and it'll just give you a bit of acapella goodness to kind of give you a taste of that little something that's not pitch perfect. But I would definitely encourage you to like listen to other groups, both American and UK groups. And, you know, if you ever find yourself in Edinburgh over the Edinburgh Fringe Festival period, like go and see some acapella shows because... It is definitely something that is an experience and well worth the money and I would always encourage it. Well, thank you so much for like taking the time to speak to me about acapella and like Pitch Perfect. It's been really, really insightful. I really enjoyed it. Oh, I'm pleased. Thanks for, I'm glad. Like it's been nice talking. I'm so sorry I've talked for so long. Like I said, like it's one of those things that when you do it and you're part of something, and it, it doesn't have to be a cappella, like, you know, being part of a fandom or, you know, a sports team or a, like a club of any sort, like when you care about something. This was lovely. I really enjoyed it because I haven't spoken about a cappella in so long. Most of the time, if I bring it up to people, they tell me to shut up. So the fact <laughs> that you encouraged me to talk about it was actually very enjoyable. <laughs> so thank you. Now time for our fan fiction highlights. Cage fighting, deep feelings and time travel, to name a few. First up, Hers to Keep by Courtney Woods. This actually came out a few months ago, but 
it's been on my to read list for a while and I've only just recently got round to reading it and oh my word how good was this story it kept me on the edge of my seat for quite a while the summary says AU Becca and Chloe have been avoiding addressing their feelings for years until Chloe has a little too much to drink and it all blows up in front of them When Becca runs to avoid talking about it, she ends up waking up five years in the future in an apartment that isn't quite her own, in a city she has no memory of ever moving to. But will this new future life be the push she needs to finally accept how she feels? Or will time only break them apart for good? I mean, even from that summary... The tension that is in this story, it's a really interesting take because knowing what was about to happen, I don't think I was quite prepared for it. As you delve into the first few chapters of the story, it's all set around Pitch Perfect 2. So I'm sort of reading these sections and like getting lulled into a false sense of security because I'm like, oh, okay, I know where we're at. I can picture these scenes in my head. They're in the movie. Some of it's quite very, very similar. And so I'm like, okay, yeah, I've got this. I've got this. I'm okay. And then the thing happens with Chloe and it's all kind of getting a bit dramatic. And you do find yourself, or I found myself getting really frustrated with Becca because you're like, Becca, no, don't do this. Like, why? Why? Poor Becca Mitchell, unable to express her feelings. This is the thing. And it was really interesting because you read a lot of stories where there's lots of pining and like Becca and Chloe have feelings for each other, but they don't know how the other one feels. And so they never kind of get there until it all blows up. And this was an interesting take because Chloe gets drunk and then expresses it to Becca. You know how Becca feels, like you've been reading the story and you've gotten the thoughts from her head. So like when this happens, you're kind of like, well, there's your in, Becca. That's when you reciprocate. That's when you say yes. And yet for some reason, she's unable to do it. And like, I can't understand why. And you feel so sorry for her. It's just so sad. And like, you can kind of identify why... She does what she does, even though you're just kind of in your head screaming because you don't want Becca to run. A lot of the characteristics that Becca seems to kind of display, I think, are very Becca-esque characteristics. And like, as much as I would not want her to do them, I can see why she does them, whether it's an avoidance or just keeping away and... It's also really funny how as you're reading and it follows a little bit of the storyline of Pitch Perfect 2 that there are points where she can't avoid the situation. They have Bella's practice or they have a performance. Although you don't get Chloe's mindset through the story, you kind of get an inkling of it and you feel so sorry for Chloe. You're just like, I am so sorry that Becca's being an idiot and you expressed your feelings and it hasn't been reciprocated in the way that you thought. Nobody's addressing it and you just feel so sorry that Chloe Beale, who is the epicenter of expressing your feelings, can't express herself because Beck is just in hard avoidance mode. It's so sad. So when things shift and you have Beck a kind of time jump waking up five years in the future... 
it really jerks you. It's like a really clever kind of jerk because you've kind of been lulled into this whole storyline of Pitch Perfect 2 only for it to be teared away just as Becca finds. It was so good. It just kind of made me stop. And I was just like, what the heck is happening? As you're kind of reading through the story, you end up discovering things the same way that Becca's discovering things. But the thing that kind of stays the same is Becca is still in the same state of her feelings and not being sure how to address them. Is she okay to express herself to Chloe or not? You know, and she's still got the same kind of thoughts about whether or not Chloe was telling the truth or whether she was just drunk. And so you then have a big chunk of the story where it's Becca not only discovering her feelings for Chloe, but like it just felt like she was coming to know herself more as well of like who she was so that she could be very very firm of where she stood when it got to Chloe it was just such a lovely take on the kind of pining story with a great kind of like life crisis to make a character realize where they're at the next story came out and I was so not expecting it completely different take on things and yet I was all here for it it is called You Knock Me Out I Fall Apart by Karma19 this is available on AO3 and the summary just says prompt Becca's secretly good at fighting in her tiny little body and the Bella's finding out about it aka the pitch perfect two Becca is an underground MMA cage fighter Okay, so (laughs) there's a lot in my head just reading the summary of this story. I mean, who knew that we needed Becca as a cage fighter? Like, nobody has brought this up to me before. Reading this, I was just like, oh my word, I want to read this story. As soon as it came up on my feed, I was just like, I have got to read this. It's done as a one-shot, but there's like a good chunk of story there for you to delve into delving into the story it literally starts off in the cage like it's right there in the action one thing that I also found really intriguing with the story in my head as I'm kind of reading through and imagining Becca as a cage fighter there's just something she's so small I like I can't really talk because I'm like 5'2 anyway but like Anna Kendrick is small and petite and like just the idea that little Becca has got like a whole fighting experience behind her, like she could kill you, was just awesome. I like, I loved it because I think often people find it, you know, oh, it's cute, like it's like a little angry little dog or something. No, like she could actually hurt you. This Becca could really do some damage, and I quite like that when you delve into the story. She's kind of this. She is small and petite that nobody expects her to do very well. And the idea of having Luke as her, like, trainer was so good. You don't get Luke very often in uh, in stories, but it's fun to have him pop up every now and then, and this one worked really well. And I think because you get this kind of Becca as his cage fighter, she's got this whole air of, I don't want to say arrogance, but this, like, confidence that you don't see very often. It was kind of fun to have this more confident Becca riding around in a motorcycle and whatever else, just like taking the badassness of Becca Mitchell to a whole other level where she could actually be a bit badass because she could kill you. One thing I loved in the story as well is how 
related to the story of Pitch Perfect, especially Pitch Perfect 2, you saw these parallels. DSM and Commissar play a big role in the story. And I loved how the author of this kind of had all these ideas of how to kind of cross their paths. Like, I love watching a good kind of action movie you know, Karate Kid or something like that. And this gave me, like, proper Karate Kid feels. This whole undertone of, like, suddenly there were stakes and lots that could be lost and this kind of really ramped up. It made it really, really captivating to kind of get into and to see where this was going to end. Once I started reading this, I couldn't stop because I just needed to know if Becca was going to win and if this was going to come out on top and how the Bellas find out and their reaction to it are really really interesting and how that has an effect on what Becca does Chloe for me was a really interesting character to see play out in this story because when I started reading it and knowing that Becca was keeping it a secret I had this perception of how I thought Chloe would react Reading this story, there are lots of times where that was very similar, but then also at the same time, points where it also caught me off guard. And I really loved the way that Chloe had reacted and the understanding that she kind of comes with, the perspective that she comes with as this story progresses. If you want a completely different Becca Mitchell, well worth it. And the final story that we're going to highlight today is called I'm Only Me Because of You. You Know Me Better Than I Do by Muk Rololo. I hope I got that right. This is available on AO3. The summary says Becca never had the best example when it came to opening up. But there is something about Chloe that just makes it easier. This is a short one shot. But it is a really, really sweet little story. And what the author does in this story is it's kind of all focused on Becca and the experiences that she's had in her life that maybe have made it difficult to open up or to feel like she trusts someone enough to talk to them about her struggles or her difficulties. And so you get all these little just moments of looking into Becca's mind and scenarios where either it explains quite a lot as to why she reacts the way she does or how she feels about it and I really like that kind of introspective kind of nature that it gives you in this story and just understanding how difficult it could be to Becca who maybe does keep people at arm's length and struggles to feel safe enough or feels like it's even okay to open up and talk about things that she struggles with and then how Chloe Beale completely shifted that. And although Chloe being almost the complete opposite of that type of personality, she's very open. She's very kind of upfront with the way she feels. And I really liked how Chloe just comes with this whole fire that even Becca wouldn't fight. Like she just, there's this whole feeling of acceptance that she doesn't get anywhere else. And one thing that I really appreciated from this one shot is just the journey that Becca goes through in making this friend, this person that she feels so close to, and then being able to finally let it out. So you get to see that struggle of Becca kind of 
fighting with herself and then being able to kind of be like let the floodgates out let it all out to someone that she trusts of course Chloe Beale is the perfect person that Becca could open up to because she's able to reciprocate in the way that Becca needs at that time and not only that I just I felt that I had learned something from this story Chloe Beale seems to be like this epicenter of knowledge with how to deal with your feelings maybe that doesn't come from the movies but it came from this story I kind of finished it being like I feel like I learned something today it was so good just like a little story around mental health and uh, emotions and I was like I needed that that was so good those are our stories for this week I hope you enjoyed this episode and you enjoyed my interview with Maisie and talking all about acapella thank you so much for listening if you wanted to keep up to date with the podcast we are available on Tumblr Twitter Facebook and Instagram you can keep up to date with what we're up to and also we'll put links to all the fics that we've read and we'll also try and put some links up to some of Maisie's work and some of the acapella groups that she's mentioned through our discussion today have a good one pitches I'll see you next time